Welcome to the Iron Butterfly Podcast, co-produced by the National Security Institute and the amazing women of the IC, better known as AWIC. My name is Megan Jaffer, and I will be your host. 80 years ago, Eloise Page joined the Office of Strategic Services, or the OSS, a predecessor for what we recognize today as the United States intelligence community. Page started as a secretary, but worked her way to becoming a case officer, and later she became the first female chief of station at CIA. Along the way, she earned the nickname Iron Butterfly, known for being a fierce fighter with a core of steel. The Iron Butterfly podcast aims to continue her legacy, inviting the U.S. intelligence community's unsung heroines to share their stories with aspiring IC leaders. On this episode, we are joined by Linnea Jones. Linnea is the Deputy Chief Information Officer for the National Security Agency. In her DCIO role, with over 18 years of NSA experience in leadership and technical roles across several mission areas, Linnea manages the oversight for IT investments and acquisition programs to ensure cost-effective use of IT across NSA. Prior to her selection as NSA's DCIO, Linnea was designated by the Director of National Intelligence to serve as the Acting Chief Information Officer of the Intelligence Community. She also served as the Deputy Chief Information Officer of the IC. Linnea has also spent over two years as a Technical Director and lead on various hostile area deployments in austere tactical environments, supporting Middle East, European Command, African Command, and Central Command missions. Linnea, we are so excited to have you with us today. I'm happy to be here, Megan, and thank you for having me. All right, so let's get started. So to kick us off, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your background and your upbringing. I know you grew up in the area, but you didn't always know what you wanted to be in the intelligence community. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. So I always joke and say that there's no perfect path, right? I think life is about living and learning. And so me, especially, if you would have told me 20, 30 years ago where I would be today, I wouldn't even believe it probably to be true. Um, When I was a kid and I was growing up and kind of finding my way, I always used to think I wanted to be a corporate lawyer. And my favorite movie when I was young was A Few Good Men. (laughs) I used to love love it. Love it. Exactly right. (laughs) And so um, I just love the movie. I love the courtroom. I love uh, just seeing the interaction. And so it's just kind of funny how even now I enjoy talking to people, not from a legal aspect, but uh, you never know where you're going to end up from where you start. So tell us a little bit about your family and and where you grew up and, and, uh, you know, kind of what brought you uh, to this path. Sure, sure. So uh, as you mentioned earlier, I am local born and raised as far as Annapolis, Maryland. So sometimes people say those that were born and raised in Annapolis are called Annapolitans, which sounds really corny, but it's actually true. (laughs) So um, I really did grow up in the Annapolis area, starting in grade school there. I was involved in many activities. And so Sometimes when people say, well, how do you get involved? I was always a problem solver and I always liked taking things apart. So some of my early childhood, I was a Girl Scout. I also did Naval Sea Cadets for a a small stint, if you would, wearing a uniform, uh, which is almost like a junior ROTC program here in the local area with the Naval Academy. Uh, I also did ballet, played violin. I was in a ton of camps. 
whether it be Chorus Camp, uh, which I also went to with two of the Braxtons, uh, who are famous singers now. Oh. At that time, they were just uh, kids that could sing really well. <laughs> Much better than we could. Uh, I also did a lot of science camps, right? So that's probably where maybe that STEM piece started coming out. At that time, it wasn't really known for um, a lot of females to be involved in the STEM aspects of maybe studies, but I just like taking things apart and seeing how things work together and um, also understanding why. And so working on math, I also enjoyed English and writing as well, too. I was a big reader. And so for me, it was just kind of nurturing those paths along the way and then seeing where they land out. And so did you know going into college, you know, so you liked science? It sounds like you were kind of a jack of all trades and you just enjoyed learning about everything. And so did you know in college that you wanted to kind of go the science and engineering route? Um, Absolutely not. Right. So I, I tell people sometimes people, you know, worry about picking that perfect major or that perfect uh, study in order to ascend to where they want to be, because we kind of have this idea of this path. You know, people put so much pressure on youth to say, what do you want to be when you grow up? <laughs> No right. possible way for you to know at say like 16, what you want to do for the next 30, 40 years of your life, right? So to me, it's kind of like an oxymoron. So for me, uh, I was very blessed to have a, a mother with a lot of patience, if you would, <laughs> because um, when I first started college, again, going back to that corporate law, I had this vision of wanting to be this corporate lawyer. And I just thought that I would also um, have a background in international studies because I enjoy taking French. I took French for quite quite some time. And I just had this picture of how it would be. And when I started out, um, I actually was a sociology major. So I studied the norms and values of people because I thought understanding people would be really helpful to be a lawyer. And after taking that first semester, although I did well in the class, I was like, this is not for me. It wasn't my calling. I didn't enjoy it, right? So then I jumped into, changed my major to English because I enjoyed writing and reading. And I thought that that, you know, all lawyers need to have a very strong discipline in writing. And so did that, was moving along. And as things progressed, especially as I started to get into the pre-law discipline, I can remember uh, in about my sophomore year, I had transferred to the University of Maryland, Baltimore County to enter into their official pre-law program. And I was in my uh, first course of studies for the pre-law program. And uh, the instructor, let us know that most cases are settled outside of court um, to the percentage of about 70 to 80 percent. And it just kind of shattered all my dreams because I always thought I would go into this glorious courtroom and there would be this beautiful oak desk and you would have these suits on and you know and I was like what like that's no this is this can't be like the movie (laughs) a few good men where he had that moment right exactly so it's almost like if you've been waiting for this for you know 15 years and now you're actually studying and so uh, there was a lot of course negotiations and you would learn how to bargain and how to really come to an agreement and so once I learned that I was like well you know, that wasn't what I thought it was going to be. So then I started to really examine what did I enjoy doing? And so when I was looking at my next course of studies, I um, was then in my sophomore year and I wasn't sure what I should take or what I should be. And when I received my schedule, 
I looked at it and the one class or the one discipline that was missing was math. And I can remember my counselor at that time, um, which I'm sure he's probably retired. His name was Dr. Roach. uh, And he was a professor in the English department at my alma mater, University of Maryland Eastern Shore, because I had transferred back again, finding my way. (laughs) He said, Miss Jones, if you want to take math so bad, then you need to be a math major. And that's what I became. And so I went down to Kyle Hall and I changed my major to mathematics so I could take all the math classes I wanted to. And so although I wasn't sure what I was going to do, it just felt right. I enjoyed solving problems. I like math. And so sometimes I just tell people, don't overthink it. And look at me now. Like, who would have thought that that one change would have sent it to here? And that was the beginning of me doing mathematics as one of my majors. And then I also liked computers. And so on the campus, they said, Hey, you know, people make a career out of this. And I was like, really? I was like working with computers. And they were like, yeah, it's called computer science. You should, you should study it. And I said, yeah, I'll do that. You know, I'll do a dual degree in math and computer science, take things apart, solve problems, glorious day. So I think there's so many things to take from that. And number one is you don't have to have it all figured out. And, you know, you don't have to have it figured out in high school for sure. But even in college, you can change your mind. No one's expecting you to figure it all out when you're 18. And that's what you're going to do for the rest of your life. So I love the fact that you you did you tried different things and you took different courses. And then when you knew it wasn't right for you, you you did a pivot and you were okay with that. And I think that's that's fantastic. So when you finished, you had a double major in math and computer science? Yes, I did a dual and- bachelor's of science, uh, dual BS in mathematics and computer science. Um, and completely echoing off of your point, I think sometimes uh, when we don't change our minds or really figure out what we want to do earlier in life, that dream doesn't become just deferred. It just gets set to the side for a later date, right? So um, I think that it's important for us to um, really see what you like to do and what you don't like to do because, you know, trying to force fit yourself into a career or avenue because you think it might be lucrative. A lot of people go into certain majors because they think of the financial gain Mm -hmm. or some people go that they can learn to like it. And that's to me, not what life is about about, you know, do what you enjoy, do what you like, and all of that will come um, naturally. Well, and what you like now could change from what you like later on, right? Um, So, you know, one thing that I've talked to you about in the past that I just love about your background is you spent a lot of time working in the service industry and doing odd jobs. And this is a bit different from experience uh, working at the NSA, I would say, (laughs) (laughs) or maybe not, or maybe not. But were you able to draw on these experiences uh, at all? Um, Sure, sure. So, yes. So, um, of course, now um, I'm very blessed to be the deputy chief information officer for the National Security Agency. I'm a hard worker, always have been, you know, hopefully always will be. Um, And I started working at 15 and nine months, which is the legal age, at least in Anne Arundel County. I don't know what it is now, but 15 and nine months was the legal age that... um, a individual could obtain what's called a work permit, right? So essentially when you're in high school. Uh, And so I always um, enjoyed and admired hard workers. My family 
um, are hard workers. And so, you know, I wanted to be able to not just uh, make my own money, if you would, but, you know, have a sense of pride and, you know, say that I did this or I was able to accomplish that. Right. So 15 to nine months, first job, um, I was actually very active in high school, similar to how uh, I was childhood. So a ton of activities. Um, as we were preparing, I was actually looking back through my high school at all the stuff I did during the time because I was in a ton of groups, whether it be drama or future business leaders or SGA. I was SGA president. I did prom courts and all that. But uh, my first job was actually working at Horn and Horn Buffet. And I don't know if, I don't even think they're open anymore because this is quite some time ago, but um, that was my first job. And I was the soup, salad and silverware girl. And I proud of myself and having, you know, of course, the clean silverware and all the fresh salad and, of course, refilling the soups. And so that was the first intro line when you go in there, you want to think. And so I was very proud of that. I worked very hard and I can remember, you know, just being proud to have a job and representing and just being like, okay, this is my job. And from there, um, I've probably had, gosh, when you say service industry, I would say easily eight to 10 jobs um, in various customer service, whether it be, I worked at McDonald's for a little while. I worked at Walmart for a little while. I worked at Hex department store and the children's department for a little while. Um, I think I, I'm very blessed and very humble about my experiences, but we're all people, right? So when you work mm-hmm. in customer service or line industry jobs, you have to work with people. You have to be a nice person. <laughs> because you're providing even when you don't want to (laughs) exactly and so I think it teaches you a lot about how to work with people from all backgrounds and disciplines um how we're all you know alike because people are you know whether going places to buy things or you know people have good day and bad days or people are going places to eat and so um, throughout those experiences I think that whether it be you know now working as the deputy CIO, or whether it be working as a sales associate, um, we all want to be valued and appreciated, right? So we all want to uh, respect our peers. We want them to respect us. So I think there's a lot of foundational work. So I think to everyone who's younger, you know, don't knock those side hustles because you never know what you might learn from them to get to where you want to be. I feel very comfortable talking to people. Um, I network all the time. I strike up random conversations because you never know who you're talking to, right? And so I don't think anything is wrong with that. I love that answer. Thank you for sharing that with us. So you are about to celebrate your 20 year anniversary working at NSA. Can you, so congratulations on that. That's amazing. Um, Can you take us through a few of your favorite moments at NSA and what memories stick out to you the most? Sure, sure. So I would say um, one of my first memories working at NSA, uh, I was, again, a local hire. And although I lived in the area at that time, NSA was the moniker of like no such agency. Right. So people didn't talk about it. You didn't know what they did. (laughs) It was very much just like this cloak and dagger, you know, something over there. And I can remember working there and I was sitting with my cube mates and we were talking about traveling. 
And uh, they were telling me about, you know, the uh, intelligence community has all of these opportunities to go different places and to work other places. And they were asking, like, hey, Linnea, where do you think you might want to go? Or what's, you know, what strikes your interest? And I was like, oh, like, maybe I'll go to Northern Virginia. And they were like, what? (laughs) (laughs) And and they, they were so serious. I was like, yeah. I was, I lived in Baltimore County. I had uh, bought a home out there and I was like, I think, you know, Northern Virginia, that's not too far, but I'll be able to go across the Woodrow Wilson bridge. And, you know, I could be like in DC and they were like, yeah, like, um, you might want to expand that just a little (laughs) water. (laughs) And I was like, no, I don't want to go too far, you know, but I think that that I could make that work. And so, you know, to think back now that that's, I'm being very transparent and honest because sometimes, you know, people don't want to share their stories, but I tell people, if I can do it, trust me, you can, because I, I learned it out, you know, along the way. Um, but yeah, that's really what I thought. I was like, okay, I'll, I'll PCS to Northern Virginia. And now it's <laughs> hilarious, right? And so the funny thing is like, from then to now, I actually lived overseas in Tokyo, Japan for four years, right? And so I think that um, some of those experiences, I can remember when I first PCS in Japan, I, I, I thought that I just wasn't sure what I was doing. I was like, why did you do this? You know, you didn't think this through, Jackie. My nickname is Jackie. You know, this was not a logical decision, a very logical, very planned. But those experiences really made me into who I am today. And so now I'm just so open to possibilities and ideas. I'm willing and wanting to learn. So I encourage people to step outside of their comfort zones. There's so many kind of wonderful moments. Uh, And for me, I switch jobs probably every few years. So I've had the benefit of working with amazing people and doing some amazing things in the, with the amazing woman of the IC, right? Uh, pun intended, if you would. But I just think of so many opportunities. I was like, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Like that. <laughs> that's not what I thought it was going to be. But it's just really cool. Um, I would say more recently, some of my neatest experiences. Uh, I worked for a few years with the Office Director of National Intelligence uh, from 18 to 20. And during that time as the Deputy CIO for the IC and the Acting CIO for the IC, I got to work a lot with the Hill. And um, not many positions put you in a role that you may be able to go and actually see Congress in motion, right? Or Mm -hmm. actually go through the halls. And so I just thought it was amazing uh, to just feel the history, to know that these floors have fossils in them and to know, you know, all they've seen. And you think about just the amount of um, just democracy and America's founding um, being created in those halls. And so I thought that was amazing as well. It's, it's really amazing when you walk in, you walk those hallways, um, how, how you feel you do really for people who have never had that experience. And I hope everyone gets a chance to do that um, who don't live in the DC metro area. It it is a special experience. You do feel all of those things like, you know, think about all the people who have walked these halls and the things that they have accomplished and the bills that have been made and just conversations that have been had. So that's I I love that. That's how you feel, too. You had mentioned, um, you know, your time in Japan, um, but you have deployed actually seven times if if correct me if I'm wrong. 
and you spent seven years overseas. So I was, I was wondering if you could share with us some stories from um, your your time abroad. Sure, I could I could um, highlight some. So uh, some of my tours were in Afghanistan on behalf of DOD, Department of Defense. Um, of course, we were at war or in the Afghanistan war for 20 years, so not surprising. Um, I can remember when I first went. And so um, let me, uh, I guess, paint the picture, right? So we uh, we here in America, we live um, with a lot of uh, blessings that we don't realize, right? So right. we're a first world country. Uh, we have, quote unquote, potable water or drinkable water for most of the part, right? Um, we have, you know, roads and lights and people stop at stop signs and those yeah. types of things um, that are different. So when you go into second and third world countries, those are like niceties, maybe they're not necessities. And so right. it really changes your dynamic and your paradigm. And I can remember the first time um, going to Afghanistan. And to be honest, it's beautiful. It's very pretty, right? Uh, you see the mountainous terrain. Um, it's just uh, uh, very uh, serene from overlook. And then you think about how long this nation has been at war, right? That you never see these parts of it, the quietness because of all of the war-torn areas and just, um, unfortunately, the things that have happened um, in that region. And so going to Afghanistan, of course, I'm human. So, you know, I was like, again, um, I sometimes, I'm a big risk taker. So I'll I'll put myself in these situations and then I'll be like, probably wasn't the smartest thing. Like, yeah, maybe I should have thought more about this. And so when I went, you know, was nervous and I would say hands down that me traveling and deploying um, have built some of the best friendships and kinships, because when you're out there, mm-hmm. you have, you're all you have, right? So you, be, you develop, you get to wear many hats, you learn how to do this, you learn how to do that, because you can just ask the person, And you also learn a lot about the mission because you're depending on the mission to save your life and other lives. And so your work um, just brings like kind of a whole new meaning, if you would. And so I I enjoyed that camaraderie, that teaming, that aspect of working together. Um, I thought it was just interesting just to see, uh, especially going to Afghanistan. Afghanistan had many nations involved uh, uh, during the the war-torn areas or times. And so you would see soldiers and uh, just people from all over the world. And I thought it was very kind of, uh, I know it sounds cheesy, but just really nice that you're all there for a common good, right? That you're working together. And so a lot of your allies and your partners, um, some of the experiences there, you know, just figuring things out, right? Of course, uh, most people know statistically there are, are more males in the military than there are females, right? So finding things like restrooms, right? <laughs> or being able to make sure that, um, you know, some facilities like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm a woman, not a male, because yeah. just anything, whether it be helmets or whether it be masks, you know, or whether um, it be body armor or anything like that, you know, making sure. And so um, I shout out to all the females in the services uh, because that's a feat in of itself. And so, you know, I really enjoy that. And for me to be in the intelligence community and to help support them in that mission um, is a win-win. But yeah, I, I I live and learn, you know, I will say I developed, you know, wore my combat boots and put my Dr. Scholes in there. And, and, uh, <laughs> 
keep my feet dry and all of that. And so, you know, when in Rome, you adapt, right? And so mm-hmm. I adapted to it. I would say there's been many tours that um, probably for the entire tour, I wore a, a ball cap and a ponytail <laughs> because it was the easiest way to work with hair in that that area. But you know, the, all of those experiences are nothing I would ever take back. Um, each one was unique. Each one, I got to learn something. I got to see that area and to know now, you know, those may be areas or regions that um, we may never see again, at least during my lifetime, I think is amazing. I think that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that with us. So, you know, you had mentioned your time at ODNI and I was wondering, you know, the transition from NSA to working as the deputy CIO at ODNI must have been a big transition. Um, did you receive any pushback from your mentors in taking that leap? <laughs> any pushback. So, um, <laughs> you know, I'm always kind of challenging the status quo, right? So for me, um, I can remember when uh, the position came available and I wanted to apply. Uh, one of the thoughts I had was, you know, sometimes positions are available, but perhaps, you know, other people may be aspiring for them. And so um, at the time, I, I was more in like a line leadership, if you would, I was definitely nowhere near at that level, right? And so I can remember um, letting my first supervisor know, and I won't out her, but she may listen to this. And I called her on the weekend. And I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to apply for this position. And um, she pretty much thought I was crazy, right? She was like, why would you do that? Why would you want, you know, to deal with that commute and the long hours? And she's like, oh no. And so after talking to her, and she's one of my mentors and a good friend, and she's like, so, you know, what do you want to do, Linnea? And I was like, I want to apply for the job, right? And so I tell that story because, um, Absolutely. I'm I'm kind of the Dora backpack mentality. Like you take things and put them in your backpack. But several mentors were like, are you sure this is what you want to do? You know, are you sure? Now I will say I'm the type of person that if I commit to something, um, unless I absolutely have to, I won't back out. Like I'm, I'm a strong person. Like I'm going to go, I'm going to, it's going to work. I'm going to make it happen. But um, yeah, I was apprehensive. And I would say my mentors were like, I'm not sure if you really want to do this. So I, what I did was I did a lot of research uh, on the internet and just researching the, the structure, the organization, what the role entailed. Also talked a lot to the people who were there to kind of get a feel for it and idea. So I, I think that time um, preparing was invaluable. So even though in my mentors, some were, um, um, I would say less supportive than others, although very ecstatic and very happy for me and um, very, very supportive of me getting the job. It was just that shock and awe. But I'll be honest, Megan, a lot throughout life is shock and awe with me. It's like a lot of deer. <laughs> it's like, what do you want to do? Why? Why is that again? Okay. So that's just the norm. So I just take it in stride, but. Um, no, but it, I think it's important to, to for, for folks to understand, especially younger, um, younger people that, you know, your, your mentors might not always agree, right? And they might not always think what you're doing, or they might actually tell you not to do it but you have to you have to know within yourself and I think that you're a good example of this that you know even if they questioned you a little bit like are you sure that could have deterred someone right but you were like nope 
this I'm pretty I'm I'm doing this. I'm all in. And so I think it's good for for young people to hear that, you know, you don't always have to kind of follow the path that other people lay for you. You have to kind of create your own path. Absolutely. Yep. And I I think that's what life's about, right? Is that journey um and forging that path. Um, and everyone's is different, right? So just because someone you know did or didn't uh, doesn't mean that you have to or or do. But um, I always looked at it as well. Hey, I want to try, right? So I thought, hey, I'll try. I'll I'll give it my all. I leave it all on the table, right? I'm you know studying, working, preparing, doing as best as I can. If it works out, great. If it doesn't mm-hmm. work out, that's also great. I'll just come back. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, worked. what's the worst that can happen? It doesn't work out. Okay then what's next? <laughs> On to the next. So, you know, we often talk about the challenges of being a leader in a huge government bureaucracy. And one of those um, is losing touch with the people at the working level or becoming kind of sheltered in your leadership position. What types of things do you do as a leader to understand uh, the unfiltered ground truth? Sure. So uh, I would say that's kind of interesting. So the reason why I had to say a little bit because um, I would say as I started ascending, I can remember kind of being a mentor more about mm, five to 10 years ago. Um, people are are very formal and, you know, you have to have your resume together. You have to know exactly what you want to ask your mentor that. I'm a little different now, right? After being around a little bit, I just have an open door policy and I don't want people to feel like it has to be so much pressure to ask me the right or the perfect question <laughs> in order to get there. Right. Answer. So I just really, I changed um, my viewpoint on that. And I'm big on treat people the way you want to be treated. But um, I I know that uh, for me, it was, I could feel intimidated talking to someone who was high ranking. And so I don't think it's fair to someone to impress upon all of these kind of requirements, if you would, before you talk to me, right? Because I'm not an oracle. I just did well, right? (laughs) You know, let me tell you, if I was, I'd be like Warren Buffett, right? He's the Oracle of Omaha. I'm just a really good woman in the IC. So anyway, but now I'm just joking with you. But the point I make, so I I have an open door policy and um, I think that learning is a two-way street, right? So I do believe in bi-directional mentoring. What I mean by that is sometimes I think it's good to learn from those maybe that are just joining the IC because we've been around in the federal government, right? So when you've been in an industry or field uh, for 10, 20, 30 years, um, there are certain things you just don't see anymore, right? Like, because right. you see it every day, it becomes the norm, um, whatever it may be. And so sometimes I just like to ask people, hey, what do you think of this? Or what do you think of that? So I can learn from them as they learn from me. Um, and then just having candid conversations. Um, it's not uncommon. I strike up conversations with just about anyone, right? How How's their day going? What do they think? Because you just don't know how that could influence things or how people are seeing stuff. And so- um, I think it's important to to talk, communicate, have conversations. So much sometimes is um, missed uh, through us not having conversations. And I do worry about that, especially you kind of saw it some with the pandemic is that we lost some of that connective tissue, if you would, right. having conversations. And so um, I, I laugh and I joke and I play a lot um, because I think that's just the easy way to kind of break the ice with people. And it, to connect. Absolutely. Yeah, I love that. So, you know, one thing I really love about your career is that you have worked your way to the top, you know, from from the very bottom to the pretty much the very top. Um, 
And what would you like to leave our listeners uh, with that might find themselves in your story? Who might find themselves in your story? Sorry. No worries. And so I would say I, I kind of weaved it, but take risks, right? Um, mm-hmm. Don't don't be a fail. Um, embrace failure is another one, but don't be afraid to try new things, to try something out. Don't be afraid to talk to people. Don't be afraid to let your intentions known. Sometimes people may um, think that they're helping by assuming that you want to go in one direction and maybe you want to do something else. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? So I tell people to take risks, try things out. Don't be afraid to try new opportunities or experiences or just share with people, you know, hey, what you do or don't like. The other thing is don't be afraid to fail, right? <laughs> Embrace failure. Don't, you know, overthink it. Don't overanalyze it. Um, everyone who has accomplished anything did not do it on the first time. Because if they did, then they wouldn't be human, right? We're all human. We all make mistakes. Right. And so um, I think that sometimes when we fail, that's when we learn our best lessons, right? Because we learn like, yeah, that didn't go so well. So maybe I should try something else next time. And so I think embrace failure is a big one. Um, the other one, have fun right? Um, don't, you know, just worry about like stressing and everything be perfect. I think a healthy work-life balance is important. Uh, stay connected, uh, to friends and family and others, you know, um, so I think having fun and enjoying yourself and you can have fun at work. I know it sounds amazing. Like, but there are people that enjoy their job. (laughs) There are. Yeah. Right. So I think tying those together. So if, those were kind of three things, you know, have fun, embrace failure, take risks. Yeah. I, I love those answers. So as you know, we end each episode with the same question. And in keeping with the name of this podcast, Iron Butterfly, if you had to give yourself a code name, what would it be and why? Sure. So I'm going to take it back, right? So for me, my code name would be Bikram, um, B-I-K-R-A-M. I was a big Bikram yoga follower. Love uh, I will say, right. And that was my call sign during my deployment. So anybody who's listening, I was Bikram, Bikram. <laughs> Love it. So yeah. And I, I really enjoyed the heat. I enjoyed the focus. Um, to those that don't know, Bikram Hatya is a series of 26 poses in a heated room, typically about like maybe 110, 120 with humidity. And um, it's for 90 minutes. And I loved it. And so I have tried to rejoin Bikram throughout the pandemic. It's very hard, you know, um, because of just with this up and down with where we are. I am vaccinated, but um, that was something that I enjoyed. And even now, although I don't practice like I did, when I when I hear Bikram, it reminds me of perseverance. It reminds me of being, you know, out there in the war zone and not necessarily knowing exactly what I'm going to do, going to do or where I'm going to land, if you would. Um, and it reminds me of like, hey, I did that, right? So that sense of accomplishment and gratification. So that that's my that would be my call sign, Bikram. I just love that. That was it's so unique and it's I think it's perfect. Um, Linnea, this was so lovely. It has been such a pleasure to get to know you, and I know our listeners are going to feel the same. And it was it was fun to get to know you. Thank you so much. I hope you had fun with us on Iron Butterfly. I did. I enjoyed it as well. Um, As you know, I'm an open book. And so I'm very thankful and um, 
you know, I think that, that if there's anything I can tell people just to be encouraged, try things out. And if I can do it, you can do it too. What a way to end. Thank you, Linnea. This has been an episode of Iron Butterfly, co-produced by the amazing women of the IC and the National Security Institute at George Mason Scalia Law School. To find out more about AWIC, email us at awicpodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. You can also learn more about NSI and upcoming events at nationalsecurity.gmu.edu. If you like the show, please, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Lastly, we'd like to thank Wise Wisteria and Maeve Cronin for production assistance. Stay fierce and we'll talk next time.